From the art of the deal to keeping it real. Live from the Simply Vegas studios, it's the Power Move with John Gafford. Back again, back again, back again. Welcome back to the Power Move. I am John Gafford. I'm your host. If you're a huge Colt fan or maybe a huge Chris fan, again, maybe today's not your day. Colt decided to take his family to uh, somewhere in California, I don't know, Universal or something, and Connell is doing lawyer stuff, stuck in a mediation, I guess, so he is uh, stuck there today, but that doesn't matter, because it doesn't matter that it's just you and I here today, because it's not just you and I here today. Actually, we have my friend Manny Cassie here in studio, who is running for the office of Nevada State Treasurer. Now, before you... uh, turn this off and think that it's going to be, man, I, I don't want to hear some guy pitch me for 30, 45 minutes about why I should be treasurer. I don't want to do this. That's not what we're doing today. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But again, success leaves clues. Success is out there everywhere. And my job is to get you the best information I can to make you more successful. And a dude that's built a successful business that's run for state treasurer probably knows a thing or two. That's what I'm going to guess anyway. So welcome to the studio. Manny, how are you, buddy? John, I'm great. Excited to be here. Thanks for your time. <laughs> glad you glad you could be here. <laughs> so, man, what we're gonna do today? You know, if you haven't if you haven't done a lot of these, I'm sure you've been. You've been everywhere in the state, running running for treasure, doing, doing all this stuff. Is <laughs> man, I'm gonna dig a little bit into you, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to figure out what makes you tick. And, and and again, the purpose of this is to try to find some of those clues, those little breadcrumbs, those little snippets that you may have left behind that uh, that did this. But you know, first of all, I gotta talk about you know, welcome back from. Memorial Day weekend, if you had that this weekend, if you did that. Um, I got to tell you, Vegas was uh, Vegas. was Vegas. I didn't leave the house. That's, that's how I did Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. How was your Memorial Day weekend, Manny? What was it? I mean, mine was crazy. Uh, one of my companies is a, one of the largest hospitality companies in Vegas. So yep. we, were, we were slammed. But for me, it was kind of half work and then more work campaigning. So it was yeah. nonstop. Just nonstop the whole weekend. So let's back up. So your main business is one of your companies is the large hospitality business. So, so let's talk about that. What does that business do and, and what exactly does it do? Sure. So we have, uh, I own one of the largest hospitality companies in Vegas. What we do is we plan people's trips to Vegas from all over the world, mm-hmm. whether it's two people or 2000, you contact us, Hey, we're coming in. These are our dates hotel rooms, restaurants, shows, nightclubs, pool parties, shooting guns in the desert, whatever you want to do, we set it up and we create a custom itinerary for your group. So the ultimate concierge, I guess is a good way to put it is what you are. Absolutely. You're like yes. you're like you're like a you're like the ultimate freelance host. You're not beholden <laughs> to one casino if you will. Exactly. You can we, do whatever you want. We cater for the client. Yes. You cater for the client. So it doesn't matter like a lot of hotel casino hosts try to keep those people on property as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You're looking for the best possible experience regardless of where that may be. Yeah, the best experience for the client. Well, let's back up, dude, because because obviously you built a pretty amazing business there and I knew you, I met you as owning that business. That's how I met you first of all. And um you know, but again, like where did this all start? Like, where where did you grow up? Where did this start? Let's go back to young Manny, if you will. <laughs> well, I'm from New York originally. and What part of New York? From Queens, Bayside. From Queens. Queens. Yes. So from Bayside. Yes. What's your parents do? What, what do your parents do? Uh, well, my father passed away when I was in college, but before he passed, he was in a taxi cab business in New York. Taxi cab? Did he yeah. own a medallion? He had many medallions. Oh, my God. So, if you don't know, so for those of you who don't know what that business is, okay, first of all, so now that doesn't he, exist. No, well, that, well, okay, that means, okay, that's good. How did your dad wind up with a couple of medallions? Because medallions in New York are like a hundred thousand dollars, right? Well, they they were a lot more a lot. at some point. But. Yeah, because it was because it was that's the right to own it and to operate a cab. You have to have this medallion that's stamped literally into the hood of the cab. If exactly. I remember correctly. No, you're right. Absolutely right. And you had to be somewhat connected to get those medallions. I think Manny is that accurate to no, say? No, that's not accurate. Come you have on. to work hard. It's like it's like buying a house, but it's a it's an asset because. You keep paying the mortgage when you keep working the taxi cab. Yeah. So. so how many medallions did your dad have? At his peak, he owned 50. 50? Yes. And he had a, and he had a fleet <laughs> of another like 100 that he managed. That's amazing. Yeah. So you're saying that the value of, but the value of those medallions dropped. Yeah. Since uh, Uber and Lyft are gone, I mean, the value went up to, I think it was like at its peak, seven, 800,000 per medallion. But now oh they're God. not worth <laughs> they're waiting in gold. So dad was a hard worker, man. Oh, dad yeah. was a hustler. He came from Greece and never stopped. Came from Greece. And what did, what did mom do? Stay-at-home mom. 
Stay at home mom. Yeah. So how many brothers and sisters? One sister. One That's it. A Greek family with one sister. Yeah, one, that's, that's it. it. Two of us. You know, because dad was too busy <laughs> making those taxi cabs go. Exactly. That's what happened. Making that was too oil busy changes happen. Making oil change happen too. <laughs> so I always ask this to all the successful people that we have on the show. I, I always ask this one question, which was, what was the first hustle, man? Like, what was the first, okay, how old were you? And what was the first way that you realized, that, okay, I can make some money doing this and you were doing it? What was it? Well, my first hustle was working for my dad when I was like 12 and 13 years old. I was pumping, putting gas in the taxi cabs, cleaning them. You know, I said, he, he operated over 150, 180 medallions. So big lot, cleaning the lot. I mean, it was a lot of grunt work. But at the time, I was making 50 bucks a, a week, which was, you know, big money for a kid. Yeah, great money for, so, a, I mean, for a kid. It might be time. considered child slave labor now, but back then, you know, <laughs> so that was my first hustle. But then as I got into high school, I worked at Macy's part-time, mm -hmm. you know, when I wasn't playing soccer or, or in school, I worked at Macy's. So that was my first quote unquote real job mm -hmm. as the best dressed kid in high school. Cause I got my discount. You got the discount back then. So I basically worked to be able to get, to some, get your clothes. Exactly. That's how it was. Um, were you an athlete? Were you an athlete yeah, growing up in soccer high through college? Yeah. Played soccer through college. Yeah. So you got, you're on scholarship. To play well, I went to the Naval Academy. So technically you're not on scholarship, but I was one of their blue chip recruit athletes. Yes. So you went to the Naval Academy. I did. How, how, so what was that process like? Was that something you always knew you wanted to do? No, was that never. Like a, no, it just kind of <laughs> fell into, how'd that happen? I, um, when I got into high school, we were just looking at different schools mm -hmm. uh, through a friend. They were like, you, look, you should look at the service academies. And I just did my research. And back then, you know, there was no Google. So just went online and <laughs> got a brochure. And uh, AOL was a thing back then. Yeah. And it was just, it was beautiful. The camaraderie, the, the teamwork, and the history was great. So I just, I went to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, toured their campus. It was pretty awesome. And then I, we drove to Annapolis because it was four hour drive yeah. Maryland from the house and we just sat around with my dad. I'm like, all right, well I'd rather have you drive four hours to come see me play soccer than a three hour flight. Sure. Um, it was not easy. You have to get a congressional senatorial presidential nomination, which is extremely, extremely painful. Yeah. So how does a, how does a kid whose dad owns a bunch of medallions come up with that? Uh, I was very active in my church. So my priest, you know, there are a lot of Greeks in New York. Mm -hmm. So my priest did us a favor called our congressman and said, hey, I want to recommend one of um, the kids at our church for you to consider. So mm -hmm. I went and you know, read a letter, met with the congressman, showed him all the stuff that I did. He didn't care about the, the grades. He didn't care about the soccer. He cared about all the community stuff that I did. Yeah. I was in church every Sunday. I played for the Greek League. I went... I, I, Okay, I'll tell you something that no one else knows. Oh, let's get here. We get boom. See, I, that's <laughs> what we do here on the Power Move. We got to break through. I sang in high school. What is it? So you sang in I high school. I sang in high school. So I would tell go. Me, tell me, it was a boy band, dude. Come, come <laughs> no, on, come on, come high on. school chorus. Come on, okay, cool. But, um, so, same thing. But you know, this one minute I'm just you know soccer player, big jock, and next minute I'm singing in courses. But we travel around. We go to you know elderly homes. We go to hospitals. So we did a lot of charity work. Yeah. So he was impressed that I was very well rounded at the at the that point as a at high schooler. And I had a job. And he was like, how do you do all this? And I had a job. I worked, you're not supposed to work more than 14 hours in high school back then. Yeah. I was doing 20, 25 hours a week. Yeah. So I literally would go four hours a day on the weekend because I, you know, I didn't have school. I'd work an eight-hour day. And he was just like, how do you fit this all in? I'm like, well, five hours of sleep. So let me ask you. So was that you being self-driven or were your parents driving you? Oh, no, no. My, my dad worked day to night. So no, it was mm -hmm. me being driven. It was, I wanted to outpace him and catch him one day and- I wouldn't take no for an answer. I, I was like, give me more. Yeah. So you, so you feel like the, your dad set that bar that you were chasing? Yeah. I mean, my, my dad immigrated from Greece with nothing, and he, he was very successful, but it was because he worked 16, 18-hour days. He didn't know what a holiday was. Yeah. So I, I wanted to, to reach that plateau, and I wanted to, you know, surpass it. So when you hear – so let me ask you a question. So going from that story, let's hearing that, it must drive you batshit crazy – when people say there's no opportunity in this country. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now. Yeah. I mean, come on, you have five, six year old kids opening up presents, making millions of dollars on the internet. <laughs> Evan, you know what I mean? <laughs> Watch some of those videos. It's myself. incredible. So yeah, you can, it's so easy now to make money. It's a lot yeah. easier than it was when we were growing up because we didn't have all the technology. We didn't have the internet at our fingertips like you do now. So it's crazy to me. Yes. It's easy to make money if you apply yourself. So, you're in Annapolis. Did you, did you graduate from Annapolis? No, I didn't. You my didn't father know. passed away my freshman year. Mm -hmm. So I completed my freshman year and then I left and I went home and I started working. Yeah. I, I, you know, I could have turned my back and just 
gone and but no, I had to go home, start working, take care of the family, and just I, I couldn't do it. It just wasn't right. Did you take over dad's business? No, my dad got out of the cab business before, right before he passed. Like the, the writing was on the wall, the things were changing. So unfortunately not. I, I started working and then I ended up buying a restaurant about a year after I went home. So I got into in, in completely, New York. yeah, in New York, completely different than like my family. We were never in restaurants. So hmm. just an opportunity presented present itself. My uncle was like, hey, come in and invest. Originally I was going to invest, but like most Greek people, it was three partners. The two elderly ones got into a fight. They're like, you got to buy me out. I ended up hey, buying that out. That's got nothing to do with people being Greek, and by then, the way. Let me tell you, <laughs> I went from a passive investor to majority owner of a restaurant, and I was like, all right, I'm going to learn about restaurants out. now. Let's figure this out. So, what did you what did you learn from running the restaurant that would that helped you in your later life? I mean, because I, oh I came from the restaurant industry too. So, well, so. for me, it was you know, I literally would clean the toilet. I would freaking cut carrots. I would do everything. And people sitting there going, "You own this place? Why are you cleaning the bathroom?" Like, because somebody's got to do it. Yeah. There's no shame in work. Yeah. And what I learned was, again, you've got to look at things from different perspectives. So I had every chicken purveyor come in and not only show me what kind of chicken they had and compare the cost, mm. but I wanted to know who they were serving in the area. Because you can't tell me I'm 10 cents cheaper, but I don't service anyone in Manhattan. I'm only servicing people in, let's say, Jersey. Right. Well, why? Maybe your quality is not good. So you just have to be able to look at things decipher what's real, what's not. And in a restaurant business, you have to, it's all about making profit margin. So you have to well, save wherever you can. Two cents here, four cents there. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, it's funny. I was reading a book, um, <clears throat> The Pocket MBA, I guess, was the book I was reading not too long ago. And I was reading all of this stuff. And, and, and it's funny. I don't think there's any business out there that prepares you more for running any other business more than the restaurant business. Agreed. Because you've got more um, KPIs in that business, which is key performance indicators, which mm -hmm. and for those of you that don't know that phrase, what a KPI is, is essentially a place where your business can either get bogged down or accelerate to profitability. It's essentially what it is. But you've got all these different little places in your business when you look at it as a system and you try to improve either efficiency or cost or drive more revenue. And when you look at a restaurant, when you look at that industry, if you're if a restaurant manager, I applaud you. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a bit of advice. I'm going to congratulate you, number one, for being in that industry. And then I'm going to warn you about something else in that industry coming up because I thought about this, too. Now, if you're running a restaurant, you're dealing with incredibly difficult labor costs, incredibly difficult. You've got to be able to cut. I mean, the difference between being profitable at a restaurant is sometimes cutting cooks exactly at the right time. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes cutting waitstaff exactly at the right time. But if you cut waitstaff at the wrong time, then all of a sudden now you're short and then the customer experience suffers. I.e. we just went to lunch and it was on. It, it, I think both of us coming out of the industry can understand that, you know, at two o'clock, it was uncharacteristically busy for this restaurant at this time. And I happened to know the manager and I asked him, I said, how many people you got on? And he said, one. And I was like, oh boy. And what happened, our food took a really 40 minutes for a 40 minutes for a salad. <laughs> and you know, look, and I'm not bashing, I understand that, but it's moments like that that really test you as an entrepreneur. So you're running very difficult labor costs. Then you're running a moving target on food costs because produce mm -hmm. changes cost depending on the weather, depending on everything else. I mean, you look at the cost of produce, I mean, or, or poultry, everything, like you just said, chicken. I mean, the reason that a lot of restaurants are failing right now is because chicken cost is through the roof if you didn't know that i mean like i think it was like Wingstop. it was like oh try our new brand new spicy thighs and everybody's <laughs> like no don't want that and that was out of necessity you know what i mean they did that because they had to do that because they don't get, get chicken wings but you're running very expensive uh you know very hard to control cogs in cost of goods that you have you know a lot of outside sources there then you're running a customer service business where people have very high expectations and they, they have the general idea of how long things should take. You know, I think people, I think after about 15 minutes, people start looking around, where's my food? Well, the best and worst thing that ever happened here is to us is Yelp. Yeah. You know, people don't go on Yelp to say, Oh, this place is awesome. It's usually to complain. So <laughs> yeah. it's an yeah. unfair advantage. I know. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the hard cost of operating a restaurant is what make or break you. It's incredibly difficult. Now, payroll, overhead, like I said, food costs, those things are hard costs. I mean, nowadays, some people can fluctuate online, you can change your prices, but you know, when I did it, 
almost 20 years ago, mm -hmm. you had a menu. You're not reprinting menus every single day. Yeah. So your price is your price. So if, if chicken goes up or if, you know, like you said, if lettuce goes up, you're eating that. That's less profit. Yeah. You're not going to tell your staff, I'm sorry, I'm going to pay you a dollar less an hour. It's not happening. So it's a business where you have to really be on top of it. And when you're not there, you know, it's people say you're getting robbed. No, you just, you, your opportunity and efficiency goes down. That's it. Well, and, and you also, this was the warning I was going to give you. I thought about this the other day, which is if you are in the restaurant business, and I know a lot of people that make a bunch of money, waiting tables, bartending, standing in front of the nightclubs, getting people in, whatever the hell they do. Mm -hmm. And in Vegas, a lot of those people have something in common, which is pretty good looking people. Pretty decent looking, pretty good looking, decent looking crop of people hanging out in front of those restaurants. Sure. Well, here's my advice. You better do something to get into management as quickly as you can, even though it's not as profitable. And the reason that you want to get in management is because you want to save your money and open your own place. Because here's what's going to happen. You are going to ugly out of the job that you have. <laughs> it's true. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody paying a 55-year-old woman $200,000 a year to, to bring a sparkler and a bottle of Grey Goose to a table. It ain't going to happen, right? That's just not going to happen. I you're going to ugly a, out of the job, especially if you're in a place like Vegas. You're getting the power of truth, not the power oh, move right that's now. It, that's, this is a truth. This is a power move. But if you are in management and you get stuck in management, if you get stuck there without saving your money because they pay you pretty well and, hey, man, I can go to this place and I get comps and I get this and I get that. I did this, man. This, I, this was, I did this. I made this mistake so I can speak to this. I got stuck and I got out cooled of the job. <laughs> I got out cooled and then I got stuck where I was just, you know, there are other people that would do what I knew how to do cheaper less. than I would do it. Yep. And, I, and then it becomes very difficult to get another gig. So if you were going to stay in the restaurant business, even though, you didn't, but for those of you listening to this that might be in it, if you're in that business, get into management strictly with the goal of saving your money to learn the information you need to open your own place. Because if you don't got your own place, you're eventually going to be in real trouble because you're not learning any other practical skills that are going to translate to anything else. And, and what's incredible, and people should know this, once you have one, mm -hmm. it's not hard to go to two, three, or four. No, it's not. Because it's like, okay, here's my model. Yeah. It's working. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't look at one because if you have four... You get better pricing. Yep. You have a lot more flexibility. Yep. You can control, you have more staff that can work and be more flexible to yep. you. Leverage. So, oh leverage my God. That. Yeah. Leverage is a great word not in most businesses, whether it's real estate, whether it's restaurants, but people, like you said, get comfortable. Mm -hmm. They open up one place and they're making good money and they can take a day off when they want. And it's like, okay, that's it. No, that you could, if you really want to build wealth, expand. Yeah. You got it. You're either growing. Especially you're, now. You're either growing or you're dying, man. Those yeah. are the two options that you it's get. True. And that's why any business I have, when I look at the numbers and they're stagnant, it freaks me out. Even if the numbers are great, if they're stagnant, I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. How can I grow? And then like, you know, you look at all these different things and like, I'm, I'm taking a flight tomorrow. So, uh, you know, I got a long layover in Houston and I've got my books and my podcast, but I'm going to go on Netflix, on, on Netflix, see if there's anything to watch. And one of them was like the rise and fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. And, like, and I'm watching this and I'm like, bro, I'm totally going to watch this. Yeah. And I'm going to watch it because how quickly that brand got to the top of all brands mm. and then fell off a planet. And here I am as I look at the stats in Vegas and I'm like, oh, Simply Vegas offices, number one, number three. Hmm. I mean, dude, I got nowhere to go but down, <laughs> right? If I don't work my ass off every day to maintain everything that we do here and grow it, Somebody's going to come knock me off the perch because that's oh, what yeah. happens. It's life. That's what happens when you're on the top. So back to, so you're running the Greek restaurant now. You do that. Was it a Greek restaurant or just restaurant? Mediterranean. Mediterranean yeah. restaurant. Are you doing that? So you're running that. How long, how old were you when this happened? So you just, one year of school, so you're probably 21, I'm guessing, at this spot. When I, I took over the restaurant, it was in 2002. Okay. So at the time, <clears throat> I was 23, 24. And we had it up until 2010. People forget what happened in 08 with that huge economic collapse. I don't, I don't think anybody forgets that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of your younger listeners are like, what happened in 08? Yeah. So when the economic collapse happened, at the point at that time, I had the restaurant and then I had multiple, I had four rental properties all in Florida, coincidentally. So I had you know, passive income. Why Florida? And did you spend time there? Did you, how'd that, how'd, how'd that happen? Well, I'm from New York. I spent time there. You know, you go there in the winter just to get away, get some sun. But also there was just good opportunity. There were, you know, Orlando and Miami at the time were growing cities. Mm -hmm. And it was just great opportunity. What year did you buy these properties? Uh, between like probably 05 and 
08. So you were so you had just started the restaurant not too long in. Yeah, the restaurant was in, in 2002. Okay, and how old were you when you bought these properties? I was in my mid to late 20s. So mid to late, you know, okay. 25 to 28. Okay, got it. All right, cool, got it. So the 08 economic collapse happens, and New York were you, becomes were you, a ghost town. Were you 100% on those properties? Were you 100% levered? It's not that I was 100 level. I did what I did was I put down 30 percent in everything that oh, I good, bought. Oh, good, good for you. Because I wanted positive cash flow. Yeah. And I wanted my money to work for me. And my goal at the time was I want to have 10 in 24 months. Yeah. So let me start with these four, build some equity, get some rent roll coming in, and then I can say, okay, look, now give me some leverage mm -hmm. and buy more. Uh, unfortunately, it was the worst time to do that because you know, a couple years later, everything fell apart. Everything fell apart. So. 2008, the collapse happens, and what drives me crazy is we gave billions to the financial institutions and the banks that, I don't want to blame them, created it, because there, there are many reasons why the bubble burst, but they were involved in the collapse. The banks? Yes. Oh, sure they were. Well, well they were incentivized by the U.S. government. Yeah, depending who you ask, it. right. So small businesses like myself, especially in New York, we ended up getting tax bills because they had to fill their budget. City was dead. No one was coming to New York. You have all these banks going under, and they're like, uh-oh. So by 2010, I just I fought like 18 months to keep it alive. It just wasn't working. Closed the restaurant, and I got mm -hmm. this huge tax bill. So I went from being a millionaire and successful in 17, I'm 17, in 2007, to being broke and bankrupt 2010. Well, I don't, I don't think they're, I think that, that story's pretty, pretty congruent with a lot of people, I Back think. Back then, absolutely. I mean, story. millions of people, right? But- so here's a, did you let the properties go? The four? Yeah, I had to. Yeah, I go. mean, they went there. Each one of them was north of six hundred thousand dollars, and then in a matter of a few months, they were under they were less than three hundred thousand dollars each. And I'm sitting going, uh, I'm not going to pay at the time like eleven thousand a month in mortgages. No one's paying rent. Yeah. So didn't make sense. Who knew? We didn't know how long it was going to take. And thank God because it took years to come back. So yeah. I would have been bleeding a buck and a quarter or more a year, mm -hmm. and I didn't. I didn't have that money. Yep. So. The decision was, what do you do next? Do I start something new in New York or do I, go, do I go elsewhere? And luckily for me, one of my buddies from New York had moved to Vegas and he was doing really well. So when I was talking to people, what should I do? He's like, you need to come out here. Cost of living is a third of New York. No state income tax. And here, if you make a dollar, there's something left. So what did Manny do? Packed up, broke, added like a grand to my name, came cross country. <laughs> I started here. Started working for a company for again, a year. Again, that's a story that's been a lot of Vegas I mean, success stories yeah. started exactly like you know, that. that. My whole family is in New York. I came solo, started working in a hospitality company, got my feet wet, learned the way that where'd the you, city- where'd you, where'd you start? What was your first gig? I worked at Wet Republic okay. at the pool. I was a host. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was a company called AMG. Um, it was a small company, but they were growing. They had Pure Nightclub, which was very, very famous back at yeah, that time. Yeah. They had they had a <laughs> famous for the wrong reasons. Yeah, Dick's famous. Last Resort. They had, like <laughs> they had some stuff. Yeah, but um, you know, great ownership. They were hungry. They were growing. So I worked for them for a year, and then I ended up starting my own company. And what happened was, when you work for one company, you have to push those properties. Yeah, well, that's what we so, talked about when we first started. Exactly. So. I saw that there was a gap there. You know what? If John from Texas comes to Vegas and wants to go out for three days, maybe he doesn't want to go to Pure every night or go to Red Public every night. He might want to go to Excess. He might want to go shoot guns in the desert. He might want to go around the racetrack with some exotic cars. Well, I can't do that because I have to work here and there. Yeah. So I started my own company in 2012. In 10 short years, one of the largest hospitality companies in Vegas. And this is what's important. People don't understand. It didn't happen overnight. Oh, I didn't make could. money for the first six months. Nobody wanted to pay you. Nobody wanted they were, They're like, show me, right? So you got to take clients out and not make money and grow your reputation. And it's all word of mouth. I had no money for marketing. So you grew, okay. So you started this out. You started your company. Yep. I'm guessing you probably, Solo. you probably, you made it, had to make, did you make an investment in a website at least? Did we get a website up? or Not in just, the beginning. I just, honestly, I just filed a, a start opening a corporation, filed the paperwork. LLC, got, LLC and some business cards. That was mm -hmm. it. Yeah. That, that in was the beginning. The and then I just started telling people, hey, I'll take you out. Didn't make any money. What people? How did you find the people? What well, people? I mean, from New York, I had friends, business owners. I had people that, were, that worked on Wall Street. I had a couple of professional athletes that were buddies of mine at the time. Mm -hmm. So just my network. I mean, I moved here in 2011. Mm -hmm. So when I moved here, I was 33 years old already. Well, let me ask you this. How many phone numbers and names in your phone? Thousands. 
Thousands. <laughs> Many of thousands. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, well here's, the, here's the lesson. The lesson here is people don't understand the power of network until they don't have one. <laughs> and they don't realize that they need one until they need one. So if you are somebody that's listening to this, anytime you connect with anybody, get them in your phone, get them in your phone. And so let's say you meet, I just want to hear what you say about this. Let's say you meet somebody new. What's the best way to get them in your phone and be memorable. What do you do? Well, it depends how I mean it, but usually when it comes to like well, hospitality companies, like, Hey, what do you do? What, what are you doing in Vegas? Mm -hmm. And like, Oh, I'm here for a convention. Okay. What do you do? And then, I connect with them as to what they're here for and what I do. Mm. So let's just say the real estate convention, ICSC, huge convention. Mm. I'm like, oh, well, I work with this person with this company and that person. They're like, wait, how do you know them? What do you do? I'm like, well, I own this hospitality company and I set up this person's dinner here and I did that. Mm. And that's how I hook them because where's the common ground? Right. So when I say I work with, you know, SRS real estate or, and I say I work with this one and that one, they're like, oh, wait, because they, they're in that world. Yep. You know, when it's a car show and I say, yeah, I work with this car company and this rim company and this dealership company. They're saying, wait, how do you know them? Yep. And this is what I do. I, I do it the same. I do it the same way in, in a different way, but the same way, you know, what I'll do is if I meet somebody, no matter what they do, I'm like, Oh, do you know this person that might be somehow related to maybe be able to help them? I'm like, no, I don't know that person. Oh dude, you should really know them here. Give me your number. I'll connect you. And then I'll get their idea. number on my phone and then I'll immediately connect them. Like, hey, this is so-and-so, they do this, figure you guys maybe want to chat. And then when that gets done, then I'll send an individual video text message, follow up later, like, hey man, it was really great to meet you. If you ever need anything else, you let me know. Because I think the best way to build your network, and I say this from stage every time I speak pretty much, is if you want to be somebody of extreme value, get known as the person that knows how to connect the dots for others. Mm -hmm. And if you do it with no expectation of reciprocation, people will gravitate towards you. I mean, I don't know who I was watching the other day. I think it was maybe, uh, I think it was maybe Dave Meltzer said something I thought was so smart. He says, you know, give with no expectation of reciprocation. He's like, if you are trying to figure out what you're going to get back, you're trading. You're not yeah, giving. You lost. Yep. You're trading. And I love, I love that thought. And, uh, and it's so true to how I build my network and how I have thousands of people on my phone and why I can, you know, pretty much whatever you need, I can connect you with somebody that can probably make it happen. And expanded on that. I mean, let's be real. What I do, mm -hmm. A, is not rocket science. And B, there are probably a hundred companies in Las Vegas that do what I do. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to where I am by being mediocre and not paying attention. No. And to this, to this point now where we deal with, you know, a third of the NFL players in the league and quarter of the NBA. And that's not bragging. It's though you work hard. You take care of someone and they refer their friends and then you become the person. Oh, dude, look, you don't have to tell it how well you hook people up to me. Look, yeah. I, look, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> I have exceptional Vegas night tickets. I like to believe <laughs> exceptional. And guess what asshole's sitting in front of me? This, this <laughs> asshole over here. That's it. I, right? I see his mug like four rows in front of me. I'm like, oh, this is just great. Although I personally, I feel I can see more from my seats than you can. There you go. So I'm going to stick with that. But uh, yeah, it's, that. but you, you hit the nail on the head. You know what? It's about putting in what you can, not expecting a return. And what I tell people is give out what you would expect in return. Yeah. So if you treat others the way that you want to be treated, mm -hmm. They're always going to be happy. Yeah. This is the reality. The golden rule. Or, you and know, people forget it all the time. Or the best golden rule he who makes the gold makes the rules. Which, <laughs> that, yeah, I try to tell my wife that it doesn't fly. She doesn't, <sighs> she doesn't like that rule. She does, she throws that one right back at me. But so let me ask you this you move here, the company's doing great. Obviously, yeah. everything's going wonderful. And then, and then this weird thing happens, which I see now you're going to run for, for treasurer of the state of Nevada. Okay. <laughs> How does that happen? Walk me through walk me through the decision process to do that. Sure. Um, I mean, full disclosure, I've never wanted to be in politics. And let's be honest, no one grows up wanting to be a treasurer. It's not the sexy job to have. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, the reality is I currently own 11 companies. And I say that for a reason. January of 2020, life is great. Mm -hmm. Traveling the world, doing whatever I want. I have zero bosses. And then March comes around. And we have this global pandemic mm -hmm. and I'm sure like me, you were like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. Like everybody. And then 60 days later, I quickly realized depending on what state I lived in, I'm either going to die a horrible death or I'm going to thrive. 
If you live in California, New York, Vegas, North Carolina, you're going to die. Yeah. If you live in Florida, Arizona, or Texas, not only are you not going to die, but you're going to thrive. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there going, okay, that doesn't make sense. Then July comes around, 2020, and our governor of Nevada says, okay, we're going to have an essential and a non-essential list. If you're a casino owner, you're essential. If you're a yeah. church, you're not, not essential. essential. If you're a dispensary, you're essential. If you're a barber, have a beauty salon, or a small business owner, you're not essential. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. I own all these companies, and my staff are all non-essential, so we can earn a living, but if I worked at Walmart, I'm essential. So COVID isn't going to kill me at Walmart, yeah. but if I go to my barber, get a haircut, we're both dead. I think the best meme I saw was the guy in like the Baskin Robbins ice cream cone outfit. And it said, <laughs> how the F am I essential? <laughs> That's what it said. There well, you go, buddy. You know who put it great? And it's funny. I just met Ted Cruz about a month ago. He spoke here and he was like, so we got to wear a mask and we go on this plane and you're basically touching elbows with the person next to you who's a stranger. And if you take the mask off, you're going to die. But if you grab a peanut, COVID no longer exists. Your mask can come off and you can eat your peanuts. As soon as you put the peanut down, put your mask back on. But you know what cures COVID? A Diet Coke. You grab that Diet Coke and the mask comes off. And I'm sitting there going, this is what we've been fed for two years? Yeah. So back to why I'm doing this. I applied for a PPP loan. Okay. In my hospitality company, I had 14 employees. Mm -hmm. One four. Well, guess what they don't tell you? If you're not on payroll... You're not eligible. Yeah, yeah. All my employees are independent contractors. Yeah. But your your their employees were eligible individually. Nope. They individually. were not eligible in the beginning. In the beginning, they were right. not. They had to have a corporation and file independently later, right. which none of them did. They all just filed their taxes As themselves. Just, yeah, self -employed. So fifteen percent of Nevadans are independent contractors. Mm -hmm. So again, we decided we had no say. We, our elected officials, decided. Those people don't matter. So I'm sitting there going, hold on. You are elected official. Your job is to protect and help your constituents. But all you're doing is dividing us and saying you're essential and you're not. And then you're telling people, oh, if you're not on payroll, you also don't care about you. You don't qualify for anything. It's like, what? So I decided, you know what? I'm not doing anything right now. I'm yelling at the TV every single day. Let me get into this. Let me change this because how, no one's doing it. How, how do, so the, here's an interesting question because I think a lot of people are prob were probably at home yelling at the TV. There's a lot of people that would probably like to get involved. How hard was the process of actually like running for office? Of super simple. So, so what, what, what is that exact process super, in Nevada? What, super what was it? What was it? simple. Let me tell you. All you need is to spend a couple of hundred bucks and file. But that is the last step. Yeah. The first step, you could do it as simply as printing up some posters or getting some business cards. What I did was I hired a campaign team. I said, I'm gonna do this. I put a hundred grand into a bank account. Mm -hmm. I said, all right, let's get started. I researched it, you need a campaign team because they organize your life and they tell you what to do. Hired a company, and we're off to the races. Got business cards. Got some literature, got some stuff ready, and then I just start making calls. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm Andy Kess, I'm running for office, want your support. Just start going to meetings, get your name out there. It's that simple. Now you might say, hey, I don't have 100 grand. You don't need it to start. I did it because I was committed and serious. I'm like, yeah. if I do this, if I make this monetary investment in six months or in a year, I'm not gonna get cold feet. Yeah. Because we all know it's not easy. Burn the bridges, buddy. And for, said, penny, yeah, and for yeah. a penny and for so, a penny and for a pound. There you go. So <laughs> all you really need is to say, hey, I want to do this, and then you can start. I, start. I mean, I've met candidates that have no campaign team and that have spent like two grand in just getting business cards and, and some and that's it. Some flyers. So what why treasure? That's a great question. Because I have a business background over 23 years. Mm -hmm. I know a lot about stretching a dollar. I know a lot about payroll. I know about hiring and firing. I know how to pick up where things don't add up. Mm-hmm. Well, what does a treasurer do? You're basically the CFO. You're, you're managing money. You're overseeing money. And what's important in our state is the last several treasures, treasures we've had haven't really cared, haven't done much. They haven't like revolutionized the position. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I can really make a change here. And you're going to say, why? Well, we handle 
things like unclaimed property. We have over $900 million in unclaimed property right now. Let me tell you something. It's a lot of money to be sitting there during a pandemic and we're not actively trying to get that back in people's hands. It's their money. Mm -hmm. We have the worst education K-12 in the nation. 50th. Why do you think that is? I, I have an opinion. There's a few reasons, but I don't want to guess. I want to know. So well, I want to audit. Well, I'll tell you my opinion. Go ahead. Tell me. This is, my, this is why we have the worst education. Mm -hmm. It all has to do with the casinos. <laughs> okay. No, and I'm going to tell you why. This is why. Because Mary goes to school. Her dream her entire life is to be a third grade teacher. That's what she wants to do. So she goes to college. She gets her degree education and then i'm pretty sure as i've heard vegas has some pretty decent incentives for moving to nevada to become a teacher right so she does she moves here she lives in vegas oh my god i'm moving to vegas live in vegas how exciting gonna live my dream be a third grade teacher it's gonna be amazing moves here mary meets kimberly kimberly works at hakkasan kimberly carries bottles to I a know, table i know where you're going sparkler. with this. <laughs> Kimberly makes $250,000 a year carrying bottles and a sparkler and Mary makes 40 grand. Guess who's working at the pool next summer? Mary is. <laughs> I don't think we can keep good teachers because I think, and, and I think that is the same with valets. I think that's the same with any tipped position in Vegas. I think it draws away. So I think that's 50% of the equation. The other 50% <laughs> of the equation is if you look at the sheer number of people we have that work in the hospitality industry in this town as parents that do not value education as much as they should. Don't worry about it, son. Dad's going to get you a job at MGM in the Valley with me when you're 18. Don't worry about it. We'll get you a job in a culinary union. Not enough emphasis is placed on education from the state. Not enough emphasis is paid on education by Nevadans. That's the problem. Well, you know what? I love the fact that I can actually say this to you. Okay. I think you're wrong. Okay, perfect. <laughs> okay, great. That's what we're here for. Um, yes, obviously there is some of that, but I think it's a much smaller percentage. And Kimberly is not making a quarter million dollars. Really? Uh, she's yeah. not? No. What is she but, making? What's Kimberly she's, making? She's making 100 to 150 depending on where she's working. Okay. But, Depends on the size but, of Sparkler. There you go. <laughs> but here, here is really the, the issue the issue is number one we have the worst education so young professionals are not moving here no they don't want to come here because automatically they got to put their kids in private school yeah number two teachers are underpaid here and number three why are you going to move to a state where this year alone we had five thousand cases of major crimes in schools our teachers yeah, get that's a beat up, attacked, yeah, that's a mess. And, then, and the kids are not even getting arrested. So we are not protecting our teachers. And you might say, well, isn't that happening nationally? I'm not focused on nationally. I'm focused on our state. Yeah, yeah. So we need let me, to- well, let, me, let me ask you this. Yeah. Weren't we supposed to get weed revenue to solve the educational problems? We did get weed revenue to solve the educational problems. But <laughs> what happened was we had an original pool of money mm -hmm. that went to education. So- we were told, let's legalize marijuana, and we're going to get more money. Well, the marijuana money is there. This money is gone. Is gone, and no one knows where it's going. That's the problem. Yeah, that's we a spend problem. two billion dollars a year in education in our state per pupil. We spend the same amount of money as Florida. Florida's top ten in the nation. We're fiftieth. So the problem is not we don't have money. Sure, it's, it's not, misappropriation. Sure, it's not the casino. Sure, not the casino. <laughs> I mean, I do think just, that it's the flashing light, and obviously, uh, you know, if you can go in there, valets making seventy, eighty thousand a year. Yeah. I mean, it's a great living, and you don't need a college degree to be a valet. Yeah. So, yeah, some of that does affect people and culinary union people that are in it. They yeah. want their kids in it. I mean, great benefits, but the reality is, it's so much deeper, and it's the fact that we're graduating seniors with an eighth grade education. Yeah, and then. People are not taking advantage of Millennium Scholarship Funds. They're not taking advantage of college savings plans where parents can put money in now and guarantee their kids can go to state schools because that money that they're going to put in now over the 17, 18 years yeah, appreciates. Gross tax, yeah, gross tax rate. People aren't doing it. Yeah. So that's the problem. So what's happening? People are leaving, are getting educated here, high school, and then they're leaving, going out of state someplace else. And they don't come back. No. Yeah. We have to do better. And- Adding to that, cost of living, 
in Las Vegas and in Nevada in general is going up every single year. Taxes are going up. So Texas and Arizona and Florida are very, very enticing. Right yeah. All right, Mr. Mr. <clears throat> Mr. Politician, man. <laughs> what is the, uh, what is Nevada's fix for the gas prices right now? What's our, what's our fix? Oh, man. What say you, Mr. Treasurer? I don't think I can say that on the air what the fix is, but the reality <laughs> is we have people in Congress and we have people running our country that don't care about us. They're career politicians that only care about one thing, making their own money. And I'm going to give you a fun fact. What is the number one held stock in Congress? Number one held uh, Halliburton, maybe? No. Exxon? No. What? Pfizer. Pfizer. Oh, well, there you go. What was the number one drug that got approved in America during yeah, the there pandemic? You there you go. Pfizer. Yeah. So we have to get rid of these career politicians and let's get new blood, preferably business owners that don't need the money or the job and want to help create change. Well, let me, let me ask you this, because there's a lot of speculation about this. You look at what, you know, there's, they always talk about like what Pelosi's worth and all this stuff. And I don't even know if you can answer it's this. Insane. I'm just, I'm just going to ask a question, what which she's is worth is insane. No, my question is <laughs> how much more do you think Steve Sisolak is worth today than before the before he took over the governor's mansion? How I much mean, more do you a think lot, he's worth today? Clearly a lot, a lot. I mean, like you said, Mitch McConnell, Pelosi, they're making a quarter million dollars a year. 20, 25 years later, they're worth 50, 70, $80 million. Like, I don't need to be a rocket scientist yeah. to understand that a quarter million <laughs> times 20 does not equal 50 to 80 million. Yeah, they're not that good with money. Doesn't no. happen. No. Doesn't happen. Well, let me ask you this, because you were you were running unopposed for yeah. treasure for the longest time, and then there was a little shift there at the end. <laughs> a little, we'll call it the March surprise, if you will. Well, where uh, Michelle Fiore, who is a, we'll call her embattled, I guess is a good word, city council person word. for Vegas. I mean, it always seems to be fighting with somebody for something. I mean, I don't know. That's just, I think that's a word I would put on her as embattled, you know. Um, she decided she was trying to run for governor, and I guess that didn't go well. So then it was like, uh, I really want to be an elected official, so I'm going to switch gears and uh, I'll be treasurer. So she jumped into your race. Mm -hmm. How was that day? I mean, quite frankly, that they sucked because 15 months I was running on a pose. I had no primary at the time. Yeah. And I was the golden child for the party. So like, you're young, you're energetic, you're a successful businessman. Oh, man, we're going to get behind you. And everyone's rallying behind me. Yeah. And then, and you said it perfectly well, I, last day of filing, get the opponent. And it's like, wait a minute. You were running for one thing. You talked about something else. So... You've just changed your mind several times. And you know yeah. what? It's America. You can do what you want. But yeah. it just, it was a very smart strategic play on her part. She went from a primary with 15 candidates to a primary with two candidates, her and I. Yeah. So it showed me that politics really is ugly. A lot of politicians don't care about anyone but themselves. They just want to keep the crown mm. and keep getting that free check. Well, you said something that was really interesting to me when you threw out the numbers of registered voters in Nevada. Cause I, cause I made this thing. Cause like, dude, I, you know, here's the deal. I, when I read this and I saw this happen, my first thought was, ah, crap, man, that sucks. Cause this is going to hurt Manny because you know, like it or like it or not. I mean, if you, if you make the news for the good reasons or the wrong reasons, people still start to remember your name. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times when you're looking down a ballot and there's a bunch of names you don't know, you see one that pops off the page you don't, most voters don't take a second to remember, is this a good memory or is this a bad <laughs> memory? It's just, yep, recognize that one. going to check that box. I've been in line for half an hour. I want to get out of yeah, here. Yeah, that's it. Just want to go. <laughs> just want to be done for the day. And, uh, and they just check the box and move along. And I think that when I, when I heard this, I was like, ah, oh, man, because of name recognition. So me, you know, I kind of automatically thought like, well, this is going to be it. You know, this is going to be done. And I asked you a question right when you showed up today. You know, and I was and I was asking it off the air. I wasn't expecting to get a nonsense. And I want you to give the same answer you gave me. And I was like, I, how bad does this screw you up? I mean, what's the chances of you even pulling this out? Because I assumed if you don't win Clark County, where this person was a council person, if you don't win Clark County, you're completely screwed. That's what I thought. Right. And then what was the answer you gave me? Because I thought So it was yeah, the reality is again, this is a Republican primary, yeah. right? So we're focused on that. Republicans are in third place in Nevada. First place are the Democrats. Second place are independents. Independents outnumber registered Republicans. And then third place is Republicans. So even though Clark County has 70% of the voters, the majority of the voters in Clark County are Democrats and independents. When you go to the 
the rest of the state. So Clark County's got 2.1 million residents. The rest of the state has 1 million residents. Yeah. Rest of the state, 75% conservative. Yeah. So you you win the rest of the state, you're in a really good position to win. Well, 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 the good news for you, I think, running for treasurer is I think really you just have to run a platform of fiscal conservative. And we talk about this a lot on this show. We, we talk about how unfortunate it is the two-party system in America. We how, how unfortunate yeah. that system is where if I, you have to draw a line, and unfortunately as a politician, it's almost like you got to be for a bunch of shit that you may not be for just because that happens to be the color of your armband. And that mm -hmm. sucks. And the good news, when I heard how many, you know, 600,000 plus registered independents there yep. are, I'm like, there's probably a lot of people in that group that might be fiscally conservative, but yet somewhat socially open or liberal. Not quite crazy out there libertarian, but just in general, have a different yeah, set of values. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you are, and I really hope people will start to vote the candidate, not the party. You know, find out what people actually think about things. And I hope there will be a point in the future where where candidates can actually not be not be beholden to have to agree with shit that they might not agree with just because it's what the party does. Yeah, and, and I, I love to expand on that. Yeah. This is the thing that I tell people. I've been saying it for 17 months. I don't work for the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Currently, we have a Democrat treasurer. I did not like what the treasurer did for our state, and I don't like the direction that the Democrats are going nationally. Yeah. It's the I same work, thing, left or right. I, mean, I work for the constituent. Mm -hmm. So I am not going to be beholden to some ideology or some person. And I say this all the time. Mitch McConnell does not represent me. Mm -hmm. These people, just because, like you said, they're the same color armband, we're not the same. Yeah. And what's important to figure out within our state is that what works in Nevada or doesn't might not work in California or New York. So Ted Cruz, people oh, love him man. in Texas. But you know what? Does, it, does, not, that, does that drive you nuts watching basically Sisolak through, through the whole pandemic? Just yes. say, we're not what, California. Whatever California does, I'm California do. had a surplus. Oh my God, that drove me crazy. During a pandemic, a surplus. Ugh. And people don't know that because you're not told that. It drove me crazy watching So we that. need people that can A, win elections, and B, can work with the other side. Whatever party you're with, you yeah. have to be able to do what's best for your constituent. And for me, it's a state level. I need to work with the assemblymen and women from both parties, whoever the governor is, and all the state senators. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be there with a MAGA hat and a pitchfork. That's not me. Yeah, I have my morals. I have a very strong backbone where I will not bend over for anyone. But I'm smart enough to know as a business owner who has companies that are all word of mouth that, you know what? I heard this saying as a kid, you catch a whole lot more flies with honey than you do with poop. Sure. And that's the reality. Poop catches, I think it's vinegar as a real estate, and poop catches a lot of flies. Well, <laughs> but, not as many. But, but I, I got to tell you, you know, I was something happened in Vegas over the weekend, and it made me think, I, I don't know why, it always goes to the state or conscious of America, which is, if you don't live in, if you don't live in Vegas, um, we had an incident over the weekend on the northbound 95, just down from my house in Henderson, where you had two rival motorcycle gangs yep. in the middle of broad daylight shooting each other, mm -hmm. going down the interstate. Like seven people got killed. And I'm thinking to myself, these dudes are willing to, in broad daylight, shoot at each other because they have different colored vests on. And I thought, what, what a great micro example of America. You know, somebody says, how many, how many people in this country are Democrats that somebody says I'm a Republican and they immediately hate them? How many people are Republicans and people say I'm a Democrat? They immediately hate them. We got to get to back to a place where we're listening to ideas and we're trying to progress ideas, not just feeding in through I'm with these people because we hate those people. Yeah. And my mom and I talked about this and cause she's not really actively politically involved. Yeah. But her son's running for office. So I'm like, Mom, when who's your favorite president? She goes, Reagan. I go, okay. Back then when you voted for Reagan, did you like the other candidate? She goes, yeah. I just liked President Reagan better. He was an actor and a good-looking guy. But I don't want to know. The, okay. Now, when you vote, what happens? She goes, I don't like either one. I go, exactly. So 30, 40 years ago, you, you picked someone that 
you liked a little bit more than the other person. Now you're picking who who do you hate less, mm -hmm. and that's the problem. Yeah, it wasn't that somebody woke up and said, "Oh my God, I love President Trump." Oh my God, I love Biden. It was like, who do I hate less? Yeah, because they're both very diverse and have completely different messages. Yep, and that's why, like you said, you hit the nail on the head. Our country, instead of being together, is very divided. Yeah, and it's a shame. Why can't I? be a Republican and you be a Democrat and us be friends and just have a conversation. Well, and that's what we try to do on this show. I mean, we try to, we try to, you know, I, I know so many people that just fall in line with what a hand it's a, you look on social media, right? And you'll see like one of the gurus say something. <laughs> and then, I mean, I can literally set my watch by it. <laughs> 10 minutes later, here come the videos with people just regurgitating the same bullshit, the same nonsense and it's like you know be a leader don't be a sheep and it's like bro you're being a sheep by by what are you doing like you're you're doing you're doing what you're saying don't do by doing it and it just i think that's the one thing i do hate about social media is it became imperative for some people for everybody in america to have an opinion on everything even when they have absolutely no fucking subject idea matter experts. About. <laughs> no idea what they're talking about. I mean, it's just like well, I was a COVID expert. Now I'm a monkeypox expert, and it just yeah, just it never seems to end. Yeah, international you know. global war expert. <laughs> exactly. It just it just goes on and on. Well, well, Manny, man, I appreciate uh, you coming in today, man. It's uh, I look forward to seeing you. Hopefully, win that primary. I know I'm going to vote for you, and hopefully, I will because again, I, you know, I want to vote for some good ideas and not just a party. And, and yeah, we need that. people that want to create change. Want to create and something. One thing I want everyone to know that right now is early voting. So no matter who you want to vote for, you need to use your voice. Yeah. I want to be a voice for change. So hopefully your listeners understand that we can't just keep electing career politicians. And I'm going to leave you with, with this quick story I told last week. You have a mechanic that you love. Mm -hmm. Your car breaks down, you go to your mechanic. Oil change, you go to your mechanic. Flat tire, you go to your mechanic. 10, 20 years, you love your mechanic. One day your mechanic calls you and says, hey, I just bought a plane. Let me fly you to Utah. Are you going to get in the mechanic's plane? No. I'm going to say, show me your pilot's license. Show me, show me how many hours you've flown, but also show me where you've flown. Because if you flew around your neighborhood 100 times to qualify, I don't want you flying me to Utah. Mm. So just because some name you recognize or someone has held an office it doesn't mean they're automatically great for a different office. Sure. And when it comes to like my opponent, she's been in politics for a dozen years. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean she's going to be a great treasurer. No. A, a quick Google search between me and her, and then tell me, okay, Manny, I like you for X reasons, or I like her for that. I reason. like that. Actually, do some research. Don't just go and uh, go with the name. Yeah. Go with what you actually do. Well, Manny, thanks so much, brother. I hope you come back on when you win. And uh, guys. I'm, uh, I'm assuming the next time you see her, we'll have Connell and Colt in unless they're off gallivanting or doing whatever child they're doing. So we'll see you next time. Hey, it's John Gafford. If you want to catch up more and see what we're doing, you can always go to thejohngafford.com where we'll share any links that we have things we talked about on the show as well as links to the YouTube where you can watch us live. And if you want to catch up with me on Instagram, you can always follow me at thejohngafford. I'm here. Give me a shout.